Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. Thanks for tuning in again to our podcast, Authentic Living with Roxanne. Last week, my guest, Matthew Dixon, and I had such great time sharing information that we decided to turn it into a two-part podcast. If you missed out last week, no big deal. Uh, Just check out the link in the show notes to listen. It's not mandatory that you listen, but it's recommended. So don't miss out um, on all this great information that we discussed. And here we go to part two. Yeah, so one positive thing that has come out of COVID, I think you're right, you hit it on the head there, the nail on the head is that in fact, now we're quite open to say, you know, I'm having a tough day, or I'm anxious, or, you know, I'm depressed, I haven't moved today, or, you know, I want to, you know, I'm not getting along with my husband and my children. (laughs) People are more open versus ever before when you'd ask the question, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? And people are can be losing quite figuratively losing limbs and not sharing um, you know, that they're, they're having a tough day and it's, it's, it's normal and natural. It's human to, to have um, days that are not good. And there's nothing wrong with teaching. I think, especially our children about the vulnerability about saying, yeah, today's not a good day. Um, I'm having a rough time or I've had a tough day at work or I've had a conflict with, you know, X, Y, Z, or this isn't going well. I think that permissiveness models things that allows people around us to recognize, hey, it's okay to just be vulnerable. And that creates a a deeper level of connection as well. Yeah, the power line workers here in the province uh, where I live, they, I heard them talk, uh, give give a talk, and they talked about, they asked, how's your 10? And they say 10% of our, of our uh, thoughts is about, are about the present. And I forget the numbers, but let's say 50% are in the past and 40% are in the, in the, uh, the future mm-hmm. so things if you've got things you're worried about in the future or the past and they sneak into your 10 percent in the present uh it's not good to go up in the power lines because it's dangerous so right. what they do is that they ask each other how's your 10 throughout the day how's your 10 how's your 10 percent how's your 10 and i tried it at work the other day with uh i was doing some field work with uh, river quality sampling and it worked beautifully it's uh it, it was it just sneaked into the I just snuck it into the conversation and it was very very under the radar and it's worked well I said I just told him about the power line workers doing that and I just sort of continued it throughout the day and it was uh yeah I just said how's your 10 oh you know I'm sort of uh sort of thing about this sort of thing it's a very quick con- just very quick response and then you're good to go it's uh a check-in it's just instead yeah. of how you doing and everybody's gonna go fine fine and then move on and they're probably not having a good day why why not be aware that someone's having a tough day and, and, you know, life happens to all of us. Right. So it's recognizing that someone could be going through a loss or someone could be sick or somebody could have had a conflict at home or whatever. They don't have to get into the details, but at least you get a bit of a Likert scale about potentially where that person's at, which gives you the, a bit more information and with how you need to kind of um, interface with them through throughout the day. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, 
working with someone with mental health and, you know, what uh, managers and leaders need to be aware of and what kind of things that you know um, was helpful or continues to be helpful based on the work that you're doing. And what are the things that we know does not work um, so that, you know, for, for leaders or people managing others that are listening, that they might be able to kind of think through what kind of things they should discontinue doing and some things that maybe if they're not doing, they should start doing. I like the 10, the check-in 10. That's something pretty, uh, I like that. What else, what other things might you share, Matthew, that would be helpful? One of the things is uh, not being afraid to have a conversation about it. I, I had no problem talking about what I was going through. Uh, some people say, you know, when you're talking about your mental health, your, your story, uh, they talk about your deep, dark secrets. And I, I understand that for sure. But that at the same time, I'm like, well, how many of us have deep, dark secrets? You know, how deep, how dark are they? And for me, I was thinking, well, I just want to talk about my symptoms. It's, they're not deep, dark secrets. These are just symptoms of my disease. And, and I'd like to talk about them and say, like, look, this is how it's, this is how it's like for me today. And, and my experience of it, I don't want to talk about other things in my life that, are, that, that may be private or whatever. It's just, I just want to talk about my symptoms just in a very clinical way. You go to the doctor, he asks you, you know, how are you feeling? Well, my throat's kind of raspy or I've got a headache or there's a throbbing pain in my leg or whatever. I, I just wanted to talk about it like that with friends and family, colleagues, coworkers. Yeah, it's, this is how, this is, these are my symptoms. It's not my deep, dark secrets. Yeah. So I, I had no problem talking about that. And it's, uh, when the tsunami happened in Japan, I, a journalist went over and was talking to and surveying the scene and, and describing it. And he said, they were clean, the Japanese, they're cleaning up this horrible mess. But he said, that you got the sense of they just wanted to get on with their day. They were sifting through rubble and whatnot. And they were just polite. How are you? How are you? You know, what are you, how are you doing today? And what's going on? And they just wanted to talk about their day. And that's the way I was through my recovery. Like at some point, sometimes I want to talk about my disease, but another point, I have a day to get through. I want to, I want to talk about, you know, this or that and just, and just have it like a normal day. I wanted to, I've accepted the fact that part of my life is awful, but I also just want to get through my day and talk about the weather or this or that. And just, you know, it's uh, another thing, uh, Sarah, Sarah Blakely, the creator of Spanx, she talks about how, uh, workplace culture, there's not a lot of humor in it. Uh, mm -hmm. She says self-deprecating humor often works well, but I, it works well in the workplace. And I sort of have a challenge to people say to, you know, how many people, we all have a sense of humor. We all love a good joke, but how many times do we try to make other people laugh? Mm -hmm. And I'm challenging people to try to tell, try to get one person to laugh today, or just even try to tell a joke, whether they laugh or not, just to try to do that in a situation where you might not otherwise. It's, uh, uh, it's so for people with mental illness at work, try to tell them a joke, see if you can get them laugh, uh, yeah. lighten the mood. And it doesn't always have to be dark and serious and somber around people with mental illness. Like I, when I was for all the years sick, I, I enjoyed watching movies that made me laugh. And, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, it's just some basic things, right? Just the person is a person just like you. They may be dealing with something, but they just want to have a normal, like as, as normal a day as possible. Yeah. And yeah. just connect with them and treat them with the same respect that you want for yourself. Yeah. And like when I showed up to work at the, the job I did for years, I showed up to work 
I didn't want to just sit there. And uh, it, there comes a point where someone's too sick to work. Mm-hmm. But when I showed up to work, I was there, you know, I'm here because I, I want to do stuff. And it's, uh, I, I don't know if, I know at some point, you know, it's, it's a gray area, you know, when do you have to send someone home if they're too sick mm-hmm. to work, but they don't want to, but they think they should be at work. Uh, for me, I wanted to get stuff done. And I heard a lady on CBC radio, the national radio here in Canada. And she said, she, she worked with mentally ill people. And she said, you have to take them and say, now we're going to do this and you do an activity. And now we're going to do this and you do another activity. And now we're going to do this. And that's the way it was with me. I've, I've read with schizophrenia and probably other mental illness too, is that you, it's hard to self-direct, uh, let alone other direct. And that's the way I thought. I, I showed up to work. I can do stuff. Just tell me what to do. You don't mm-hmm. have to micromanage me. Just sit and tell me to do something. It might take a few hours, a few days, what, whatever it is. But just come back to me and point me in the right direction again. Just, just keep mm-hmm. pointing me. And now, now do this, Matthew. And it's, uh, it doesn't take a lot of directing. Just a few minutes here and there uh, to, to say, okay, now do this or do that. And yeah, so your check-in might be a bit different, but ultimately you know, structure is important and maybe the interface between the, the direct supervisor just has to be, you know, just a bit, Hey, what's, what's Matthew up to? I just checked in with him. Oh, he's on to the other tasks. No big deal. Like there's no, not need to hover other yeah. than, you know, but structure is probably more important is what you're saying that kind of helped you through your day when you were at work. Yeah. It's, I mean, cause at the same time I showed up to work sick because the doctor said, you know, Matthew, if you want to improve your chances of survival and getting better, try to find a job. I'm like, wow, you want me to go to work feeling like this? Okay. And anyway, but I, I went, I only went to work if I thought I could do it. I didn't want to, to, you know, uh, waste anybody's time. But at the same time, I'm thinking, wow, I can't believe I'm actually going to work and doing all this stuff and going, going through my day. As much as it's hard, you went to work and you, you, you probably functioned and felt better as, as you were doing something constructive as well. Well, yeah, exactly. I, one of the reasons I showed up to work was to get better. It wasn't to work on my career or to do this or to do that or to put a, even to put a paycheck on the table. I, I wanted to go to work to save my life. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, work, you know, working in an office, doing things in an office to save my life. Mm-hmm. It's a different way to look at it. They hadn't thought about it, right? But just to be able to function day to day and have meaning and purpose just to get through your day. And that helps you each each day you get under your belt, you probably, oh, I was able to accomplish that and then get into the next day versus kind of these long-term aspirations. And I know oftentimes when I've dealt with people with chronic depression, what that becomes very important. The last thing they want to do is move, but the best thing for them is moving. And, you know, we would, we would quite literally sit down and create a structure where we would itemize kind of everything and then put alerts that would allow them to kind of to know to switch right? To, okay, you're on to this now or whatever. And after a while it became kind of now the body kind of expected you to do something different versus doing what the body's telling you. You're over overriding what the body sensations are um, in, in the case of, so again, you're right. Just being able to do something day in, day out. Oftentimes I know with my clients has helped them over the years and it sounds like it was the same for you. So it's, you know, with all this and kind of, and I know you do a lot of more um, bigger work with mental health. um, 
what are you seeing out there? I know, like I talked to you a little bit about here in Ontario, that it takes, you know, an average sometimes, you know, I'm here in Niagara, it takes about six to eight months to get a good psychiatrist. And I take, I think it takes about six to eight months to burn out a good psychiatrist as well, because we're often all looking for really good resources. Um, What are you seeing out there kind of, I know you've been working with some uh, different uh, organizations um, about mental health in some of the developing countries. Yeah. So there is a man, Shekhar Saxena, He's from Harvard University, and he spoke at the UN uh, in the last year or so. And he said this, every country when it comes to mental health care is a developing country. And I'd like to learn more about his reasons for why that is, but I can certainly understand it. I mean, the mental health care system in Canada and other developed countries, they all need work. And so anyway, I... The whole time I went through mental illness, my heart went out to people in developing countries or war-torn countries who have mental illness to go through as well on top of all that. I went through mental illness here in Canada, in a sleepy part of Canada, very quiet, and I felt like I was living in a war zone. Just, uh, in fact, someone saw me walking down the street one day at my worst in 94, and they said, Matthew looked like he was walking through a world of flying glass. But yeah, that's the way it feels, just bombarded. And I, I, anyway, so I, it was 2017 and I found uh, the first content on the, that I'd stumbled upon on the internet about mental health in developing countries. It was a TED talk by Vikram Patel. And he, it's a, they found, uh, well, some countries have only one psychiatrist per million people. There are over 270 million people in developing countries with no mental health care. And what's worse is that some people, they estimate hundreds of thousands of people in 60 countries are actually kept in chains with mental illness because they don't know how to deal with them. And it's, it's, it's inhumane and it's horrible. And uh, Robin Williams son, Zach Williams, is helping to promote this uh, uh, on his, well, with some other people, Allison Janney, the actress from the West Wing TV show, Tim Shriver, who created the Special Olympics. They have a hashtag break the chains platform. And I tell people about that on my website, mindday.ca. And it's, so anyway, I, I, well, I made this website to try to help. I thought, well, if I'm going to help anybody with mental illness, because over the years throughout my recovery, I thought, you know, when I get back up on my feet again, when I'm ready to help other people who I help. And for years, I thought, well, I'll focus on people here in Canada or wherever. But when I heard what some people have to go through, it's, it's just horrible. So I thought, well, if I'm going to help anybody, I should help people who need it the most. People kept in chains with mental illness. It's hard to believe, right? I mean, I know... You know, it wasn't too long ago, but we didn't have the knowledge that we do now. But our biggest thing is probably getting the right kind of experts to assist someone, right? Because obviously, if you go to a social service agency, for instance, I'm not sure where what how long the waits are here, where you are. But I know here um, in public sector, it sometimes can take six months. So if you're having an issue, that's a long time to go to wait for the support, right? So, um, you know. But, uh, you know, it's not one in a million. It may be that you need different kinds of supports, especially if you need psychiatric help um, to obviously get a proper diagnosis 
you know, so if you're waiting six to eight months and you're, you're dealing with all these symptoms, you can see how that can exacerbate the experience. Um, you know, absolutely. So what kind of things are you doing um, with these organizations and how are they helping to kind of deal with some of the causes that um, like, you know, what parts of the world are they keeping people still in chains and what can be done? Yeah, so the, uh, on the hashtag Break the Chains platform, they estimate 60 countries. There's a report written up on it. And that came out about a year or so ago. And I found six nonprofits that are helping people on the ground get basic mental health care. This model of basic mental health care, it's, uh, it's been modeled after a... Uh, a physical healthcare model, basic physical healthcare model, where there's no doctor, no, no hospital for hundreds of miles. How do you treat someone with a broken leg or this or that? And back in the nineties, I believe they modeled this after this, a, a basic mental healthcare model. How do you treat someone with depression or anxiety where there's no hospital, psychiatrist, medications. And this, the good news, the good news in all of this is this model is proven effective it's low cost and it's also scalable. And they're trying to figure out, the World Health Organization is trying to figure out the best way to roll it out to the masses. And until they do that, I don't know when, what kind of timelines they have. I mean, that's a big job. But until they do that, I found six nonprofits that I steer people towards on my website. And if anyone hears of any more, please tell me about them that are using this model or variants of it uh, with success. And they're helping thousands of people uh, in Africa and other uh, developing uh, countries. It's uh, it's successful. They unchain people with, ment- uh, with who are kept in chains with mental illness, and it's it's wonderful. It doesn't help everybody. Just like everyone here in developed countries aren't uh, can't. Some people are resistant to treatment and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But it's it helps large numbers of large numbers of people and. So I'm, I'm trying to do this for a living. I want to make uh, this mental health advocacy for developing countries my main thing. I haven't been able to make a paycheck from it yet. And so I've, I've got a Patreon page uh, where people can donate to help uh, give me a monthly income to do this advocacy work. And I've kept the website simple because in the last so many years, I've still been working on my own recovery and I haven't wanted to take on too much but, so I've made the website, my own website, simple. I just steer people, if they want to donate or fundraise, I steer them directly to those six nonprofits, their own websites, where you can fun, uh, donate or fundraise right on their websites. And I keep myself out of the financial transaction. Right, right. So, well, that's, that's amazing. And, you know, the, the thought is if somebody needs, so this model is based on if you're not, if you need medication, but you don't have capacity to get medication to use a physical model to assist people to at least start to take some steps with their mental health. This, and I may be simplifying it. Yeah, so it's the, the World, health or, World Health Organization, they have a mental health gap action program, MHGAP. And on their website, they'll have like a, it's like a hundred page document. Uh, they teach people, what they do is they go into a community that has no mental health care whatsoever. And, and, you know, lots of other things, uh, you know, maybe no clean water or whatever they, they're struggling. And they teach, they handpick some of the people in the community and they teach them how to give basic mental health care to others in their community. And it's, uh, 
community workers. Uh, there's some other terms for it too, but they they handpick hand some people with some basic skills, maybe in leadership or some other kind of health skills. And that's how they roll it out. So it's- That's amazing. So like a, almost like a, a peer model in a way, like what we would do in employee assistance programs here when we go to, and uh, train people on say trauma response and we do a peer kind of team within the company. So it's a, basically a- better bigger model on the macro level where you go in you figure out what the advocates what skills they have and you train them accordingly to at least be able to teach them how to regulate their emotion or maybe teach them about things like how to stop your not stop your thoughts but to slow your thoughts how to stay in that 10 percent present right as a psychotherapist there's a basic things that you know you, you don't think about right like you you just assume that everybody would know that but being able to teach those skills, if somebody shows acumen and being able to pass it on would make a lot of sense. Because if I can teach somebody how to stay present, you know, I can do that within minutes, not thinking it's something that's a skill. How, who could you touch? You could probably yeah. touch a lot of people's lives, obviously, you know, with the background that I have, but not thinking that there's some people in the world that doesn't even know how to do those things, right? Yeah. Yeah, one of the groups, Basic Needs US, uh, one of the nonprofits, they use medications. Fine Mind, another group, they use medications. Strong Minds, uh, they work in Africa. They help women with depression in Africa, and they don't use medications. Mm. They use a, it's a talk-based group therapy. They get women in groups of eight or 10 people, and over so many weeks, they, they talk in this group. And they talk about their depression and whatnot, and they're getting astounding results of women walking away, uh, not depressed anymore, or at least uh, alleviate, alleviated symptoms to a certain degree. And, and a lot of times with depression, it's about connection, right? Yeah. You know, really, if you think about it, we are mammals and depression is the opposite of um, being mammalian. It's actually being reptilian, right? So oftentimes when we're depressed, we kind of lean away and we curl up quite figuratively mm -hmm. and then even being able to open up, right, which is what we're, we're meant to do, that in of itself um, helps us heal, right, because our bodies are able to connect heart to heart uh, type of thing. So those basic things, you know, are, are so very, very important. But that's the last thing that you feel like doing when you're, you know, when you're not feeling good. Yeah, you can self-sabotage for sure. Oh, absolutely. Well, Matthew, this has been amazing. And um, what, what amazing work you're doing in the world. Um, you know, if I can ever help in any way um, along the way, please reach out to me. I would be uh, more than um, willing to any expertise that I think I could help you out with on your path. Let me know, um, you know, for the employers that are listening, you know, just be aware of some of the amazing things that Matthew has shared today. Um, think through your strategy in reference to mental illness. Um, do you have the programs? But even more so, do you have the skills associated with what your management needs in order to integrate people and treat them with respect, like Matthew is saying on a day-to-day -day basis, to help them live the best version of themselves at work as well? So, Matthew, any last words for you? Again, tell people where they can get a hold of you if they want to ch um, chit-chat with you, where they can reach you. Yeah, so my website is mindaid.ca, M-I-N-D-A-I-D.ca. I've recently created a Facebook group on my Facebook page for MindAid where people are welcome to join and meet each other and brainstorm ways to help fundraise and spread awareness about uh, mental health in developing countries because most uh, many people don't think about it 
and know all these stats, like but some people are actually kept in chains. So the Facebook group, I'm hoping I've got 41 people in there as of today. I'm hoping to grow that uh, and uh, get people talking about this. It's uh, it's so easy to bring into a conversation uh, with because we're talking about mental health so much these days. It's not a stretch, not much of a stretch to to throw in some of these stats. Like some countries have one psychiatrist per million people. Point people towards my website because my website is a bit of a hub for the cause. Uh, a lot of the areas being worked on are sort of scattered across the web. I've tried to make my site just a, a one page. Uh, I'll send you in a bunch of different directions when you go on there and sort of give you a bit of an overview of the cause. And instead of having to go find all that stuff yourself, like I did. <laughs> awesome. Well, Matthew, you have a, an amazing day and um, I hope that our paths cross again. Again, thank you for sharing all your wisdom and we'll stay connected. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.